0: This podcast is brought to you by JewishPodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at JewishPodcasts.org. Start. Okay, perfect. All right, Parshas Miketz. Everybody, fifty-seven, eighty-four. Here's the pasuk. The Pasik is in Perak Memdalid pasukal. The very first two psukim, So Minasha. Right was asked by Yosef, commanded by Yosef, saying the following: says, fill up their sacks with food as much as they're able to carry. This and put money each man in their bag. All of their money should go back, fill it up with grain, everything should be inside there. gvi kesef, and my cup, the silver cup you should put inside the sack of the small one, Yamin, along with the money that he was using to buy everything. And he did exactly as Yosef told him to do. That's he did it right over here. So the first question is who is the man that's in charge of Yosef's house, the one that he's commanding over here? And I already said it. Rashi embraces Rabba Peb says refers to Menashe. He is the one who ruled over everything, he's the one who took care of everything that was there. That's that. Targum the They both say the same that the person he was. Is the person who placed the gvia inside his bag, right? And then chased after them, that was Menashe, that was referring to Menashe. The chiskuni says Menashe caused so much pain to the other shvatim by making them think that Benyamin had stolen it, that they were going to become slaves, possibly going to die, right? That even though it was through the command of his father Yosef at Sadik, right? And the fact that he, they tore his clo- their, tore their clothing because of him and because what he said So his portion in Eretz Yisrael was torn in half. Menashe had half a portion in one part of the land, one portion in the other part, we all know, one in Eretz Yisrael, one in Abra Yardin, and that was because of what he did to the Shvatim. That's a crazy idea that that's what happened to him, but that's what it says. That's what it says because of what he did. Now the Balei Tosvos, they wonder, how these great Chachamin, the Shvatim were unbelievable, tell me the Chachamin, how did they not think to check their bags before they left? Why wouldn't they have done that? They knew that Yosef had done something before. They assumed that Yosef was doing something a little shady up until this point. Now, granted, Benjamin did not know, and Benjamin didn't do it before, and Benjamin obviously is the one that they put the cup inside, but the Balotos is He said, why wouldn't they have said, let's make sure there's no claims in the future? They should have checked their bags, saw the money, and just said, hey, you put stuff in our bags before they left in order to make sure that everything was Okay. The Balei say a crazy answer. He says that Yosef purposely made them drink a ton of wine. So they got so drunk, they didn't realize what was going on. Do you hear this answer? He got them so drunk, they had no idea what was put inside their bags. They were then sent out super quick, before they could check anything, as the Pesach says, The morning got up, the men were kicked out. And then, before they realized what happens, with their hangovers and all the wine they had drunk, before anything happened, Yosef a sent Menashe after them, before they could check their bags, and he's like, hey, what's going on? Before they sobered themselves up, before they could check it themselves, that's what he ended up doing. That is a nutty answer. That the Shvatim were made drunk enough that they didn't realize what was going on. Was the Osnayim of has an answer based on that as well. The Imre Shefer says a little bit differently. He loaded them down with so much food, grain, and money, that it was hard for them to go quickly. They wouldn't be able to go very far before he was able to send Menasha after them, so they kept them all back. And that answer is a little Little bit different. Meaning, in other words, they could have checked and they probably did check. But there was so much stuff in their bag they couldn't check all of it and therefore, while they were going back, Benyamin, I assume, the cup was somewhere in the middle or somewhere on the bottom. He checked. He saw he had his money. He saw he had grain. But the M.R. Shepherd's answer was they were so overburdened the way that they were able to carry it. I guess that's the reason why. And for that reason, they didn't realize something was wrong and they didn't check it until it was too late. So those are two answers as to how they couldn't have checked how they did not know beforehand. The Sforno says that Yosef put the money on top of their bags. That's why it says, am and the mouth of the bag means right on top itself. And told them, says the Sforno, he said to them, I'm giving you your money back. So there was no reason to check. They knew they got food. They knew they got the money because Joseph the told them what they were doing, right? And he said, I caused you guys pain. I made you go back and forth. I made you bring your brother when you didn't want to. I'm really sorry about that. I feel bad. So here, I'm going to do something extra for you. That's what it says right over there. And that's the idea. That's why they didn't search their bags before they left, which is a third answer. It's also a really good answer. I like that answer. They knew. And then comes the Ramban. The Ramban says he purposely gave them more food than they had paid for. And gave them money back again because he felt bad. And he was afraid if he didn't tell them that they would claim the same way that somebody put money in their bags, the cup was put in as well. That's what they, that's what the, 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 why Yosef of felt that he had to tell them, similar to what the Sworno says. But once they knew money was put in the bag, right? It wouldn't make sense for a cup to be put there in as well because why would that have been given to them? And what would anyone gain? by stealing Yosef's cup and putting it inside their bag. That was Yosef's taina. I'm telling you it's there. They're not going to check. They would expect that they had a lot of stuff, right? And then afterward, whenever something would happen later, and they would say like, well, somebody put this kavia in the bag. Yosef's taina. Yosef's claim was, why would somebody have done that? Why would somebody have been around? And then he says, it's possible that this happened every time. Yosef had such a set job going on everywhere. We had all these things happening from from... from one place to the other, that what they would do is people would give the money to a certain person, that person would go pick out the amount of grain that they have, they would fill up a bag and give the guy the bag. And it happened every single time. Everybody had that happen to him. You weren't expected to look at your bag. You had to trust Yosef that he was going to give you the right amount of food for the amount of money that you spent. And I guess that worked out every single time. So it was like the known thing, says the Ramban, that when you went to Mitzrayim and you put it in, it was sealed, it was closed. You never opened it up. You had no idea where it was. The of B'chayah says this as well. So the Ramban and the of B'chayah were both like, look, that's what they did. And therefore there was nothing you could ask about. Nothing you could question. It just went in. Okay, so what is this Gavia? If that takes care of the four answers, basically four answers, as to why they didn't check, what is a Gavia exactly? What is this type of thing? So Raj says it's a long cup. The way that I'm picturing it is a thin goblet. I would think like a little stem with a thing on the bottom and a little cup part on top, like it was a long goblet type of thing. That's that. Sivzacham says he understood from the double Russian. Gavi, Gavia hakasef. That it's going to be a, a cup almost like on top of a cup, like a very, very thin, big cup over there. Mizrahi says, Kos is a cup that's either long or short, while the word "givia" only refers to a long-stemmed cup. I don't know where he's getting that from. I have absolutely no idea if there's another word like that throughout Tanakh, but that's what the Mizrahi says. And the Guraarieh, says the word givia is related to the word gavoa, And gavoa means high, so it was a tall cup, a very tall cup that would be given over to somebody. The ravam, one of the balitosas, says this is a cup with a wide bottom that it stands on, right? That's what I think it was said before, with a stem that leads all the way to the wider cup on top. And again, I think that's our goblets, right? That's what we call it. Does anybody know, by the way, is that does that have a certain name? Like if you have a bottom and then you have a stem and then a cup on top, is that just called a cup? Does anybody know if that's got a special name it's a goblet, <laughs> it's a goblet. I, it's, what? It's a goblet. goblet so it's just called goblet. can a goblet be something without a stem? like if we're translating it in English is that a goblet has to have a stem or it doesn't have to have a stem like what? I, I just don't know I have absolutely no idea if there's a specific word for it either way the balitosis add on this is Yosef's special cup it was only used by him it was very call me wonder why would this work? why wouldn't Binyamin have just claimed I own this cup this cup is mine I've I've always had it. For drinking, usually a glass or metal with a base and stem, but without handles. That's what it is? With a base and stem without handles. And I think cup doesn't have to have a stem. Okay, that's good. That works out well. That's really good. How do you do that? Have something! Wow, amazing. All right, anyway. Yeah, so now, Siv <laughs> Chachamim says, right, the Benyamin could have claimed that he had a cup just like it, right, he hadn't stolen anything from Yosef. Why wouldn't that be? And he answers, this cup must have been well known. Not that it was just a special goblet, but it must have had some special properties. I mean, I think it's kind of obvious. Like, Yosef could have engraved his name on it, and therefore it was all known as Yosef's Cup. I think that's pretty obvious. But apparently, this is says, that it had special magical properties, and therefore it was something different, and that's why it's mentioned twice over here. It was well known as Yosef's Cup. Now, I found this idea in the Miyam Loes, right, in the name of the Sefer Imre Shefer. I could not find it in the Sefer Imre Shefer. I have the Sefer at home, but I couldn't find it there. This is the reason why the Shvatim could not claim they own the same cup themselves, and it was, Yo- that was not, like, I guess, and that it wasn't Yosef's cup. It sounds like, and the way it says is, you could not drink out of this cup without both of its halves. Meaning, there's two parts to the cup of Yosef. One half, he always kept on him and he did magic with it. The other half, you attach to it and then you drink out of it. It couldn't be used without the other half. So the only way to be, so Menashe ran up to the Shvatan bringing the other half of the cup and said, that's Yosef's cup. Even if the Shvatan would have claimed, no, Binyamin has a cup just like it, they fit it together and said, no, this was perfectly made for Yosef's cup. That's the idea behind it. And that's the idea why they knew they couldn't claim anything different. Happens to be, by the way, somebody got me for my, for our Sheva Brachos, my wife and I, they got us two Kiddush cups that literally fit each other. They, it like, one is made that fits into the other. And whenever I think of this safe for the Miyamloese's idea of the cup of Yosef was a double cup that had one half and one half, I always think of this Brachos cup, which I've only used four times at my house for four Brachos that have been at my house, right, one for my daughter, but it is the weirdest cup I have ever seen before in my life. If you want to see the cup, you can come to my house and I'll let you look at it from the outside, but not touch. Okay, you can, right? But it's a very, very strange cup, and I've never seen it anywhere else. <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know who got it for me, and I have absolutely no idea if it exists anywhere else in the world. I've been looking for it forever. No one has it, and it's made of pure silver, total waste of silver. I've used it four times in my life. Either way, regardless, the Chassam Sofer in Torres Moshe HaSholim in Parshvaira, he says that the word Gevia stands for the Schuyos of Klau Yisrael. is Gimel, three of Bez for the twelve Shvatim and Ayin for the seventies of and that's why the seventy souls that came down to Mitzrayim the seventies of and that's why this word is used instead of a Kos, because Yosef Tzadik was hinting to Binyamin that he's a part of Klau Yisrael that's the idea behind the Chidah says that the word Gevi is the same gematra as 85 it stands for Hayasod, the foundation or Brismila Mem Yud Lamed He is 85 as well and that's because Yosef Tzadik obviously in order to prove that he himself was Yosef showed the Shvatim, his bris mila itself. He was sh- trying to show the Shvatim that he wasn't pogame in that midah. He had never ruined that midah of Yesod that he stood for, meaning they thought that they could do the job themselves without Yosef around and he's showing them, no, I'm the reason for the rov for the sova that's in this world. I'm the reason for it. He's the tzaddik Yesod olam that's behind the entire world and that's that. He put it in Binyamin's bag to show that the only other t- that was on the level of Yosef a tzaddik was Benyamin, but even he could not control the sova and the rav like he could, and that's what the gvia represented that only he or Benyamin could do it, now the shvatim, because they thought that they were like the Icker, that's exactly why when they threw Yosef in the pit, the first thing they did was they sat down to eat bread, to show Yosef we don't need you we don't need you. We can make our own bread. We have our own parnassa. We don't need the Tzadik Yesod Olam. But obviously, Yosef at Tzadik was the reason why there was a Parnassa, why there was Parnassa in the world, and that's that. Degomach that and says, obviously, it's a gemachir of Peh, as in the mouth itself. There are two parts of the Peh. If you look at your face, obviously, there are two eyes, two nostrils, two ears, right? But one mouth and that connects with the Peh down below, that area of the body, one to the other, to again show that just like there's Kedusha up above, there's Kedusha down below as well, and Yosef Atzadik had been protective of that area, that he didn't do anything that was usur, and therefore, maybe, maybe that was involved in the kapara that he was giving So All of that is hinted to within that word gavia So the gavia is not just stamma word, and it's not just referring to a goblet, it's referring to an idea that Yosef Atzadik was trying to embody in part, to the Shvatim over here. Now, the Medrash says there were different Simonin in the cup with different calculations on each one of them, which Yosef used to tell the future, figure out things that he wouldn't have known otherwise. Now, I'll tell you, that Medrash makes it sound like the cup was the real deal. I always assumed, and I'm pretty sure it's a Medrash, that Yosef at Tzadik had faked it the whole time. There's a Medrash that he picked up the cup and he banged it and he said, Ruven is the oldest. And then he hit it again. He said, Shimon is second. Levi is third. Yehuda is fourth. I always thought that that was just a fake. He knew exactly what it was, and that was that. And the Shvatim never understood the power of this Kaviyah. They knew a lot about magic and, a and about that stuff because they knew the Tahara way of doing these things, but they couldn't understand the power of the cup because yes, it was faking it the whole time. But according to this Medrash Hefetz, it sounds like this cup actually did have properties. There's a way of doing something where there were gradations, I think that's the right word, gradations, right? that were in the cup that showed him what to do at certain times. I, I guess, I have absolutely no idea, but that's certainly what the Medrash Hefetz sounds like. That more says there was a law among the Egyptians that only the king or his second in command, in this case Yosef, Tzopnas Paneach, was allowed to drink out of a silver cup. No one else. I have no idea why. My assumption is, is that the reason why, is because, and that's why Menashe later added, this must be the cup that my master drinks from. Apparently that was well known. The Paneach Raza adds on, that's because in Egypt, Silver was worth more than gold. Why is that? Because gold was plentiful. The Pishon, which was the Nile River in Africa, was a river that was surrounded by gold. That's what it says in beratius There was gold all over the place. Maybe back in the day there was gold in Mitzrayim, but at least from the countries down below they used to bring up gold through the Nile River. Gold went from one area to the other. And therefore gold was plentiful in Mitzrayim. That was not an issue. Gold was all over the place. It was silver that was super expensive. And therefore silver had a lot of hashivos and the fact that they had a silver cup, only Yosef and only Paro could have had that and not anyone else. He then suggests a crazy thing. That there were two cups in Benjamin's bag, not one. Remember we said before that there were two parts to the cup from the Balitosos? Here the Panayak Raz says there were actually two cups in the bag. One was a silver one that was used by everyone to drink out of. The other one was a special gold one that was used by the king and his second-in-command. And that's why there were two Geviahs in the Pusik. Gevi'i, my cup... Gevi'i HaKesef, as well as a Gevi'i HaKesef, a silver cup. So a little bit different from the Torah who says silver cups were only used by the king. He says silver was more expensive, but this was special gold that was used only by the king. There was Gevi'i and a gviah He not only stole a gold cup that belonged to Yosef at Tadik, he had stolen a silver cup, which was also super kashuv. I guess that's the idea behind it. The silver cup, I don't know if people would have noticed, but the gold cup, they obviously noticed because it was Yosef's. And that's that. Now, that might explain why it says they claimed kasef ozahav later on. They said we wouldn't steal silver or gold. Sounds like they actually had stolen both or Binyamin, at least, had had both cups inside his area, and that's why both of them are mentioned. It's a crazy thought. It's a really crazy thought to think about it. But that leads to our obvious question, guys. Everything up until now is just details of what's going on over here, right? Why in the world did Yosef do this? What was the plan here? I mean, what's Yosef trying to do? He's trying to get Benjamin to sit in Mitzrayim. Tell me, would it have been that hard to just, I don't know, go all mean, grab Benjamin, throw him in jail like he did to Shimon before, and tell the Shvatim, I'm not letting him out of jail until you guys bring Yaakov? If you really wanted Yaakov there, and that was the plan, to tra- take Yamin, what in the world? This is like the most convoluted plan ever. Show them a lot of love give them everything they want, be super happy with them, sit down for a big meal together, get them drunk, and then afterwards send them home and throw a cup in the bag and let's see what happens. Like, why would he do that? Just grab them. You've got police. Just grab Binyamin, throw him in jail. Don't give any, so you don't even have to say anything. Just say to the Shvatim, well, I wanted to keep Binyamin. Go find Yaakov. Go get your father down here. If that's really what he wanted, shouldn't that be the obvious thing? So there's a couple things over here. There could have been a secondary plan. Sforno says, Yosef was never sure that the Shvatim loved Binyamin the way they said they loved Binyamin. He's always worried that he would, Binyamin was just another Yosef at waiting to happen. Did the Shvatim learn their lesson or not? And therefore, he wanted to see, would they stick up for their younger brother, who apparently is a thief, that was the whole idea. Who apparently is a thief. Are you willing to stick up for him? He's a, he's a Russia. Like you thought Yosef was a Russia before. Is he a, if he's a thief, are you going to stick up for him? Cause he's your brother or are you going to just let him go? If you would just grab Yosef and th- grab Binyamin, I'm sorry, and throw him in jail, that doesn't mean anything. Brothers will fight for brothers for the you know, just the fact that it's, how could you throw him in jail? But if he's a Russia, if he's a thief, seemingly, Right? Then would they stick up for him or would they not stick up for him? That's the sworner. The sworner says he wanted to find that out. The Hiskuni says he wasn't sure it was really Binyamin. Maybe they pulled a guy off the street. He didn't recognize Binyamin because Binyamin had a beard, and apparently that was a big deal back then to go from having a beard to not having a beard. It was like Superman, and He just couldn't figure it out, right? It's just not the same person. So either way, Binyamin had a beard now. And when he saw him, he didn't recognize him. So he was wondering, did they pull a kid, a street urchin, you know, off of no, out of nowhere, and they put him in the place of Binyamin? Well, here's the way to find out. If they say, oh, no, Binyamin stole the cup. All right, bye, Binyamin, right? Then they'll know. Then Yosef knows this isn't the real Binyamin. Right, But if they fight for him, and they're willing to fight an entire nation of Egypt for him, then he knows they're really the brother. Right? They're, they're re- this is really his brother. In fact, Tzedel Ledarach says at first, the Shvatim did want to leave Binyamin in the hands of Yosef and go home. But you would have convinced them to fight for Binyamin's freedom. In fact, the Shvatim had not all learned their lesson. And they said, yeah, well, if he's a thief, then we don't want him at home. And they actually said, just get rid of him. And Yehuda thought for it, which is exactly what Yosef wanted to see. Are the Shvatim willing to fight? And they weren't, but Yehuda was, right? And that made him break down in the end because he realized that there are all these different pieces of going on in his family, not realizing what to do in that case. But that's exactly what the Tzedel Darach and the Chizkuni say. So again, it's part of the plan itself. The Orachai Makadosh has a very different Darach. It wasn't a test, per se. It was all about the Kapara. He did not want to give his brothers pain. He had already eaten with them. He showed that he was at peace with them. He really wanted only the best thing for his brothers. However, they needed a kapara. And that kapara should be in this world. And if you ask, well, who gave Yosef the right to give the brothers that kapara. Who gave him that right? You're not allowed to pain somebody else because you feel they need a kapara. You know what, Zav? I think you, you need a kapara. So I'll just punch you in the face. You needed a kapara. Right? I'm not allowed to do that. How is Yosef allowed to give them that kapara? And the answer is, he may have thought that's what the dreams were for. All of his dreams of the brothers bowing down to him, whether he's a thing of wheat or whether it's the sun, moon, and stars, whatever it was, was all about... How the brothers, after they did something wrong, would be machaper through Yosef. And Yosef saw that if he could get them all to bow down to him, and their him to God's plan, to the Ashkacha that Hashem had in this world, then they would get a full kapara. So Yosef, even though he didn't want to, and he kept turning to the side and crying, he didn't want to do this, he felt he needed to give them a kapara. For kidnapping him? right? That's what they did. They needed to be forgiven when they would be embarrassed over their theft of Benyamin's cup. When they saw and they were embarrassed about that theft, that would be when they showed no remorse, no embarrassment for kidnapping Yosef. That was the first kapar. Hold on. Second kapar, like the Sforno above, they didn't show any remorse for selling Yosef at Sadik. Now, are they going to stick up for Binyamin? Are they going to do something for Binyamin? that's number two. And number three, he's trying to hint to them that their secret of selling Yosef was no secret. This whole plan was trying to show them that it should be known that they sold Yosef. And he was telling them, where's your other brother? Bring your other brother to me. Show me what's been happening. Why don't you bring your... That was the idea that he wanted to say all over again, that you were really thieves... Years ago, I want you to admit to it. I want you to say that you did something wrong and say it out loud. Those were the three kaparas that he tried to force them to do that would allow them to be on a different level and possibly get tshuva. And again, if you ask who gave him permission, again it could be that Yosef Etzadik had Ruach Hakodesh, but I feel like it's from the dreams themselves that allowed him to think this is what he's supposed to do. Dave, yeah. Um, so sorry, So there's no question that the Malchus happened the way the Rabbi Nobachiah said it. That in the end, the Shvatim never got Mechila from Yosef. Yosef showed them and tried to give them a Kapara, and they did get somewhat of a Kapara for it, maybe for themselves, but there was no full Mechila. He never said Macholach, and because he never said that to them, never said it out loud, even though he said everything else, but he never said those words, therefore the Malchus happened. Right? That's what the Rabbi Bahaya says. That's by far the best these answer. Three things wholeheartedly. And they, can't, they, they still, they that might have taken care of B'na'dim la But the B'na'dim la part, they had to say specifically to Yosef, forgive us. And they did try saying that at the end of Vayechi after Yaakovinu died, but Yosef never said a mochel. And it could be that Yosef had his reasons for not being mochel. Maybe Mamish could not find it within him. You literally, I, with all the hashkacha and the fact that I'm king and everything, maybe he literally could not forgive him. It's possible that he really couldn't, right? It could also be that he forgot, but that's a hard one. Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar says he didn't forgive him. And for that reason, we have a different world. Again, that's that. It seems super interesting. But those are the two major answers as to what Yosef Tzadik is doing over here. What's he doing? It's either to test them in some way, shape, or form to see what's going on right now, or to figure out if it's really Binyamin. Is this really Binyamin or is it a fake? Or our third answer is that he's trying to make a kapari. He's trying to create a kapari. Now, the Medrash Lakatov says that they sold Yosef through silver. Right? They got 20 silver pieces for him, and therefore he took a silver cup. It could be, by the way, I don't even know, that the silver cup was worth 20 shekel meaning the same amount of money that they sold Yosef for, maybe that's how much the cup was worth. That would be super interesting if it was exactly the same, right? And that's the idea that they were supposed to get. The Oznaim Latorah says it may be that the first time, right, he did it again because the first time they were given their silver back, Shimon didn't get it. He hadn't received his full kapara. Maybe there was something different. I don't know. But the doc says Yosef did this on purpose. He did not tell them that he was giving them their money back or the cup itself, obviously, so they would have no idea what was going on and assume it was all happening so that they were being punished, minashamayim, for what they did to Yosef many years earlier. That's the redox pshat. Similar to what the Orachayim HaKadur said, just a little bit different. He's not trying to force a kabbara. He's trying to make them realize what had gone wrong all those years earlier. The shach says, what about Benyamin? Why was Binyamin chosen? Binyamin didn't do anything wrong. He doesn't need a kapara. Binyamin shouldn't have been involved in this in the first place. As a timeout, there is a safer, and I can't remember where it is offhand, that says that Binyamin was in on all of this. He knew. Binyamin was in on all this. Yosef said to him, I'm going to put a cup in your bag. I'm going to pretend you're a thief. I'm trying to get the Shvatim back. And he told them that he was Yosef. That Binyamin knew the entire time this is Yosef Atzadik trying to get the Shvatim back and therefore Binyamin was silent the entire time. That is somewhere. I just can't remember where I saw that. But the shock says that Binyamin was needed because he needed a kapara as well. Binyamin knew where Yosef was, either through Ruach HaKodesh or that the other Shvatim told him. But he absolutely knew where he was. He didn't tell his father because of the Cherem, that the brothers had put on anyone who tells Yaakov, you know, this story. For 22 years, Yaakov, you know, was in pain. And Binyamin never said anything. Now, Yitzchak never said anything either. But Yitzchak's Yaakov's father. Benyamin is Yaakov's son. He should have said something. And for that, he needs to be forgiven. And that's why it was a Geviyah, which is a Peh. The same gematria as Peh. He should have used his mouth. And that's why the stone of Binyamin. does anybody know what the stone of Binyamin is on the Khoshan? It's called the yeshpeh, yashpeh, yudshinpeh, stands for yeshpeh. There is a mouth and he didn't use it. That, so to speak, is his kapara that's necessary over here. There is more, right? And I, I, I'm not gonna go through everything with the Benel, right? He goes through the other reason why Yosef Tzaddik felt that they needed a Kapara, he needed a Kapara, etc., right? And why Binyamin specifically wanted to make sure that Bar Benel really is like a combination of all the different answers we gave up above. There's a Tosefis Brach, however, who says literally the exact opposite. He said he involved Binyamin because Binyamin was the son of Rachel Emenu, who had also stolen a Vodazara from Lavan's house on her way out. Right and hid it under her, and that is the reason why she died. They knew it was in the nature of the mother to steal, and he wanted to see if they were going to get messed up, if they were going to think that Binyamin Etzadik is a thief because of the mother. Because of that, that's why Yosef put the cup by him specifically Binyamin, not as a kapara for Binyamin, not because he needed a kapara, but rather to test the shvatim, and it would be more of a test because it's somebody who was involved in thievery, etc. So they would he would they say. You're a thief, the son of a thief. That's the idea behind it. And you should know, by the way, there is Mamish Amedrash that says exactly that. That when Binyamin was caught with the cup, the Shvatim started punching Binyamin and yelling at him, You're a thief, the son of a thief. Imagine that. That's crazy. But the Shvatim started yelling exactly that point. Again, Yehuda is the one that stopped everything. And that's by Gashay Lavi Yehuda at the beginning of next week's Parsha. The bear Yosef also talks about this, etc. Haksava Kabbalah wonders, he says, I don't know, if Yosef put the money back in their bags, if he was planning on revealing everything to them later anyway, then why would he give them all the silver and gold in their bags? I just think about it for a second. Putting food in their bags makes a lot of sense, but why give them money back if he was planning on bringing them back anyway? Why give them their money? Why would he do that? So, I'm not positive, but I think the answer is super obvious. Yosef Itzach it wasn't sure what the Shvatim's reaction was going to be. What if the Shvatim just said, "Eh, keep him. Just keep him Yemen. Keep him as a thief." We're good with it. Just keep them there. Then they would go home. He wanted to give them their money back, and he wouldn't have another opportunity. He can't then say, oh, okay, now that you're ditching your brother with me, here, keep your money. He wouldn't do it then. So he wanted to see, maybe they should keep their money now, because I don't know what's it's going to be in the end. That's a good possibility. But the Ksava Kabbalah says again, Yosef is trying to keep every word of his dream. He felt his dream was nevuah, And even if it wasn't nevuah, it was a form of Ruach HaKodesh. And he felt that every word of the dream was unbelievably important. He didn't want them to realize that he was Yosef. He made sure that they would bow down to him when they thought that he was a Goyish ruler. right? That he wasn't anything but a non-Jew. That may be why he returned their money. Everyone who came to buy grain bowed down to Yosef knowing that they needed him for their food. But the dream indicated that they had to subjugate themselves to Yosef, right, for something other than kavod. It had to be for the grain, they had to bow to Yosef, not out of honor of the king, because that makes them just like everybody else, for for a specific reason that they needed grain. And that was the dream, that the grain bowed down to the grain themselves. That's why he returned their money immediately. So they were bowing to him out of his generosity, out of his goodness, out of the good things that he did for him, and not out of just plain honor. That's Aksat HaKabala, and that is a brilliant answer. Yes, Shalom. So that bowing in Yosef's mind might not have been good enough. He not only wanted Binyamin to be with them, Right? Because Binyama was not with them the first time. But it may have just been out of honor. He wanted them to bow specifically out of his graciousness. Out of his kingliness. That's what he felt the dream represented. According to the Xavakaboa. And that's what he needed. And he didn't get that until all eleven came to him after he returned their money. And therefore he returned the money again because they were going to come back with Yaakov. Right? That was, that was what his thought process was. Now, the end of the Pubsic says, Vayas that Manasha did what Yosef told him to do. Isn't that strange wording? Would you think they wouldn't? Would you think that Manasha would just be like, whoa, no, I'm not doing that? Why would Manasha why does the Pesach even have to tell us that Manasha did what Yosef told him to do? Minas- Yosef told him, put the cup inside the bag, and Menasha did it. Of course he did it. Like, I, well, what is the question here? Just a couple answers over here. Osnain Latora says he didn't want to do it. And I think this is obvious. If somebody tells you to do something that you know is absolutely immoral, it is totally immoral to stick a cup into someone's bag and pretend that they're a thief. That's immoral. That's not a ter- That's not a good thing to do. It makes sense that Manasseh would question it, but you can't question the king. So what do you do? So for the fact that it would say... And Menashe did it, right? If it didn't say anything, then you say, like, he did it, but he was, like, he felt really bad about it. Here, by Yosef, he did what Yosef told him to do, means Menashe didn't question it at all. He knew his father. He knew his father was a tzaddik. And if his father is telling him to do something that doesn't look good, he knew there must be a reason for it, and he did not question it. And that was the greatness of Manasseh. He didn't have any questions whatsoever. Then it says the exact same thing. Obviously, there's a lot of questions here. What are you doing, Dad? What is going on here? What are you inviting them in for? You're giving them their money back. You're putting a cup inside their bag to suspect them of stealing. What in the world is going on? But he didn't ask a thing. And that is the greatness of Manasseh, understanding that Yosef must have had his reasons right over here. There's a little bit of a moral discon over here, which is super interesting, but I'm going to skip it for right now. The Rashmi Bells says, because of this, Menashe said exactly what his father told him to say. He did not add a word. He did not subtract a word. He knew that his father was a tzaddik. This is what the Bells of Rebbe says. He knew his father was a tzaddik. He knew there was something for a reason. But he couldn't comprehend why he was doing it. And therefore, he didn't dare add or subtract a single word from what his father told him to say. It's like, literally, he was reading lines. Lines that Yosef told him to say. Because he 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 couldn't understand what was going on and he didn't want to put himself or make himself involved over here. That would be too much for him. And he was scared of messing this up completely. And finally, everybody, the last thing that we have over here is something totally interesting. And I'll tell you honestly, I'm not even so sure what to do with this. It says over here, right, that there's two times. It says Vas Kesef Shivro. Now, if you saw that word in the Pusik, I translated it as the money for their food. Yesh Shever B'Mitzrayim. There is food in Mitzrayim. Shivro is a really weird word. The Rokach says it appears twice in Tanakh. It appears here by Yosef Atzadik, putting it back in their bag. And Gidon, when he was told about the dreams of his enemies proving to him that he would be successful, just to give... I know you didn't go to seminary, so I'll say it very quickly, okay? So Gidon knew... Right? He knew that he was supposed to lead the Jews in a fight against Midian and Amalek. Midian and Amalek had massive armies. Gidon had 32,000 men, where 22,000 men left. 22,000, he said, anybody who's scared, go home. 22,000 of them got up and left. He was left with 10,000. And Hashem said, still too much. Make them all go to the stream and drink. And depending on how they drank, it's machlokus rishon, how exactly they drank, right? However many people drink in the right way, those are the guys that you're gonna to go to war with. Out of the 10,000 people, originally 32,000, how many people remained at the very end? 300 altogether, Guido. You officially went to seminary. Very good. Right? There were 300 people that went. Oh, there are 300 people that remained at the very end. He still was not convinced. So he said to Akarish Baruch if I'm going to win, he had a little sponge and a big granary. He said, if I'm going to win, have all the dew that falls land on this sponge and the rest of the granary should be dry as a bone. The next morning, he picks up the sponge. He squeezes it. He gets buckets full of water from that one little sponge. The rest of the place was totally dry. That he was going to win. He said, that's still not enough. He said, next, tomorrow morning, let the sponge be super dry, but let the whole granary be wet with dew. And that happened again the second time. And still, Gidon was not convinced. There's a lot to this, and it's amazing. Right, but Gidon then said, right, Gidon said, I'm still not convinced. that could have said to him, okay, go with your guy, a guy named Fura, This guy, Fura, is never mentioned anywhere else. He's the attendant of Gidon. Some random guy named Fura makes it into Tanakh. That guy is awesome. Okay, so Gidon and Fura are told, go to the camp of the Midyanim and go listen to what they have to say. Go listen to what they have to say. Gidon and Fura go to the camp. They hide themselves. They go to the camp and they overhear a conversation where one guy says, I had a dream and in this dream there was a big thing of barley bread and the barley bread rolled through our entire camp and destroyed the entire camp. And the other guy said, that must mean that Gidon is going to destroy our army. And when Guido heard that, he said, all right, now I'm ready to go. Takes his 300 men, divides them into three different camps, gives everybody, doesn't even give weapons, by the way. He gives everyone a chauffeur in one hand one hand, and a torch in the other that they covered up with a little bucket. And they went in the middle of the night, and all 300 blew a chauffeur and then cracked the clay so they showed their torches. No knives, no swords, right? And the people, the Midianim and the Amalekim, were so shocked, they killed each other. Everybody was dead. And Gideon went in, yay, and everything was all good. Everything was done and Gideon was able to win the war okay that was an amazing thing that is the only other time where the word Shivro is used in reference to that time where he was told about the dreams Gideon granted is from Shevet Menashe which obviously is from Yosef Atzadik, at but the connection between the two seems so tenuous here's what the Rokach says because Yosef gave Chesed to his brothers that's why Gidon was successful in beating his enemies. I have no idea what that means. No idea. What in the world? Like, the brothers are represented by the Midianim and Amalek? Is that what we're referring to? Was Yosef Atsadik, right? where it became greater through dreams, so therefore Gidon realized he would win the war through the dream of those people. I'm just, I have no clue what the connection is. I really have absolutely no idea what the connection is. Does that mean that Yosef and Gidon are connected in their neshamas? They always say that Gidon is connected to Moshe Rabbeinu. That's why the only time that the Shem Hashem of Ehaya, Aleph of hey, Yud Hey, is used by two people. One is by Gidon and one is by Moshe Rabbeinu. The only time where it says they spoke to God, punim him is by Moshe Rabbeinu and by Gidon. The only time that you see somebody who's, who appears, God appears to them in the middle and nowhere while they're working is is Gidon and Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu as a shepherd and Gidon, etc. There are 11 proofs that Gidon and Moshe Rabbeinu were connected to each other aside from the fact that why didn't Moshe Rabbeinu fight against the Midianim at the end of his life? Does anybody remember? Moshe couldn't fight against Midian, He had to send, right, Pinchas, why didn't he fight against Midian? Because Rashi says, beer the man out to Shadi Bekala, That a boar that you you know drink out of, you can't throw pieces of dirt in it. He grew up on Midian. he can't fight against Midian. Right? A mullik, he didn't fight. Who fought against the mulik instead? Who'd fought against the mullok? It wasn't Moshe Rabenu. He sent? No. Nope. Oh, Yoshua. He sent Yoshua. You fought against Amalek. He didn't fight Amalek and, and, and Midian, so now he fights Amalek and Midian. There's so many different proofs. But is there now a riot that maybe, that maybe Gidon is connected to Yosef as well? That there's something there, yet yeah, aside from being his great, 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 great grandson or whatever it is. Right? Is there something else? I momish have no idea. If anybody has a connection between the two, I'd love to hear it. Especially based on this word Shivro. I momish have no idea that it has to do with food over anything else. There's some thoughts that I have, but I have nothing definite so I'm going to stop right there, guys. Have a great Chavez. We'll dive in Marvin a few minutes. And um, just to remind